to experience the ripple effect. This is the Empowering Youth Podcast from Building Utah Youth. A nonprofit organization established in 2007 to provide powerful leadership training to the youth of our communities. And now, here's your host, by board member, co-owner of Rapport International and certified trainer, Brett Johnston. Hello and welcome back to the Empowering Youth Podcast. I'm Brett Johnston. I'm Mesa Whitaker, and I am so excited to welcome our guest, Hannah Wagner, a.k.a. Hannah Terry. Ms. Terry, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. You know what I think is so great about this night is... It's been a long time coming, but you showed up with your sword from class. You showed up with your student notebook from class. You showed up with some pictures. You've been digging in and it's been bringing back some memories. It has. Yeah. I I brought my creativity sword because I I won that. That's Um, the super cheap one. Yeah, it is. But it's super memorable to me. I mean, I've kept it for a really long time. Not everybody gets one of those. Very impressive. Mm -hmm. And and we were talking, it was like 12 years ago. 12 years in June will be 12 12 years. Wow. I know I'm old. Time flies when you're having fun. It really does. Yeah. So, um, you've, you've, you've been listening and, and you're ready to tell your story and you have such, uh, an important story to tell and, and it is, um, it's it's a it's a lot for anyone, but it's so real and so relevant to um, today. Uh, we were talking about how the training has evolved a little bit since you went to class, and and the way we approach it, the way we even talk about some of these subjects today, because it's so important to talk about. So, without further ado, let's let's dive in. Where would you like to start? Oh, let's start before class. Absolutely. Okay. So let's start with your childhood. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I have the best family in the whole world. You I have, have a big family. I have a huge family. So I have, there's six of us, five siblings, um, three older brothers, a younger brother and a younger sister. I also have three bonus siblings. Um, they're the best, huge family. Love them. Um, yeah, just the best. Um, they're, they're a lot. Well, yeah, because I'm the introvert of the family, which is kind of funny. There's no way you're an introvert. I am. Mm. I have learned that. I am I'm a little bit of both, but mo- more introverted than I realized I was. You're just okay with it being quiet and being by yourself. Yeah. You're not necessarily an introvert. Well, it's just you, you have that. You're okay with that. When you're the middle child of six siblings, I mean, you, you need have, some peace. You do need <laughs> some quiet. So, um, yeah, I was raised in a huge family, the best siblings, um, single mother. She was hardworking. Um, she had to work a lot, a lot. And, um, I have a little sister. She has spina bifida. She's in a wheelchair and then my little brother. So they're twins. Um, so really at a certain age when my mom had to work more full time being a single mom, ended up having to take on a little bit more responsibility at a young age. A little bit of the mom role. Yeah. And um, so, so I was really responsible at a really, really young age. I didn't really have um, as much free, I guess I, I had freedom. I just um, didn't, I still had responsibility that a lot of people at 14 years old don't really have. So I was always like the responsible mom figure figure in my group of friends, which was kind of fun. 
Um, but I, I really helped raise those. I call them my twins, my little brother and sister. And um, so that was, it was tough being raised by a single mom, um, a lot of kids, a sister with special needs. So um, it was just a lot of time spent at home, taking care of one another, taking care of the home, just making, we really worked as a team, um, our family unit. So um, when I was 17, my mom was working at Staker Parson and Ron Hadley, Hud Hayes, and Tim Vaughn nominated me to go through rapport um, through teen leadership breakthrough. They're all right, guys. Um, yeah, they're the best guys. It's actually kind of funny because now Hud's my my boss. So we've come full circle. He, now that that guy is an all right guy. He is. Yeah. Yeah. We love Hud. We do. Yeah. Talk about like, it really is like full circle to think he set me on my leadership path when I was 17 years old. Now he's my manager and he's continuing my leadership path. It's and he's still pushing. Yeah. He did yeah. that oh, intentionally yeah. for sure. Oh yeah. You ended up under his role for a reason. It it really makes so much sense now. And he pushes me hard, which is good. Um so yeah, I I went through um Who was Hannah before teen class though? I mean, besides taking on that role of the the young, you know, mom role, why why mom was gone working hard to provide. Mm-hmm. Who 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 was that? that young yeah so like outside of the family life um i i tried really hard to you didn't try to i i did at that point i failed at it i should say i failed really hard at fitting in with people um i wanted to be the popular person i wanted to be i had um went out for cheerleading i went out for uh, student body officers and failed at both of those things a few times. And I, I wanted so badly to just be part of the, the in crowd, the group, you know, I wanted, wanted to stand out a little bit. Uh, yeah. I wanted, I just wanted to be popular, which um, in hindsight was the way I was going about it, obviously isn't a good way to become popular. I just kind of followed. I didn't know who I was. I, fell into a really not great group of friends. Um, they were pretty abusive, pretty bullying. Um, girls can be pretty harsh in high school, especially um, for me, I have three older brothers, so I'm very comfortable with, um, I was very comfortable with boys being my friends at the time. And that can kind of be competitive when you're a teenager with girls. And, and I was ridiculed. I was, there were some pretty, fun conversations in principal's offices. Um, it was, it was pretty intense. Um, so I was really lost. I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know, I didn't have any goals for life. I had just known the struggle of getting through life in my family, family life. And then, you know, through high school, just wanting to be something that I just wasn't and not being comfortable with myself. Um, so that was, that was who I was. I really was just a shell, not, not knowing who I was and not even, I had no idea what a goal for my future even looked like. Do you feel like you really wanted to be on the SBOs and the cheer team or was it just what everyone else was doing? So that really dealt there. I loved people. Like I really, I really do love people. I think that's why, um, 
2015, leadership was such an impact on my life and leadership in general. Um, And I think I knew that at a young age, I just didn't fully understand it. So the cheerleading, I think I wanted to just be popular, but as far as the student body officer, I like I was, I really wanted to be one. Um, I actually ended up being a peer leader once in um, ninth grade. People voted me as a peer leader by themselves, which was, I loved it. That was an honor. It was. They voted on like the most, the person that you could speak to the most and like when you're uh, needed somebody. And so that like impacted me. That sounds like you. Mm -hmm. It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So, so those three, we'll call them stooges, the three stooges. They, they nominate you to go to Teen Leadership Breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I really only knew one of the Stooges, Tim, which probably is the most. He's definitely the Stoogie of the three. (laughs) I don't know. They, they, they definitely have a competitive spirit between the three. moments. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they are very close with my mom. Um, and my mom came home one day and said, you're going to go through this program. It's going to be the most life changing thing of ever. And you're going in a week. And I was like, what? So at this point I had already graduated high school. So I was actually ahead of, um, some of the other teens in the class, but I was still 17. My birthday is later. So I was like, this doesn't make sense. I'm older than these kids, which was silly. Cause what do you mean? I'm graduated from high school. I'm, I'm, I'm not, that's not me. I'm okay. Well, I, I just, I thought I was old. I didn't need a teen breakthrough class. Who needs mm-hmm. to go through teen breakthrough class? I was 17 and I thought I was, you know, 30. Yeah, of course I was not. Um, so yeah, our class was actually kind of unique because it was very small. Um, and then the first night of our class, we actually had to have it at a facility that they train SWAT officers. And so we walked into this industrial building the first night and we were all terrified. There's 14 year old to 17 year olds. And we're just like, what is going on? It was Super intense. Yeah, we'd recently talked to Jonah and he was he was talking about what an amazing experience that was because you guys got to go to class together. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Devera. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. Yeah, it was it was intense. We walked in there and you have somebody screaming at you. At the time it was screaming. Um and then you have like small officers walking down the hallway and that's very intimidating at 17 years old. I think old. we should bring that back. Yeah, that definitely, definitely needs to let's be bring back, back the SWAT officers. Yeah. Everybody that goes to class today, you have no idea what you're missing. Seriously. <laughs> oh, the best part was when we went up, so at the time we were at the facility um, up in Weber Canyon and or sorry, past Ogden Canyon. Um Anyway, um, we were up there and the bus driver had had to take us from that facility, the SWAT officer facility to the cabins that we were be staying at, dropped us off at the bottom of the hill. So yeah, environmental to, center. Yeah, the environmental center. Because they can't walk. drive up the hill to it. Yeah, we had to walk at night, just a bunch of teenagers. There was no adults there. It's part of the process. Yep. All it, will be known in due time. I can't wait to talk about this with McKinney. Oh my gosh. It was so intense. That was like our first six hours of, of class day one, which honestly, I think it set up our team up for success because we were already a small group and we bonded so quickly. It was, it was incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, most people don't realize the the differences in the size of the classes and, you know, the facilities they're at. They're all different. And even if it's the exact same place, same size, completely different because it's individuals and their experiences are all unique. You talk to, you know, 30, 40 kids from the same class and ask them about their experience. And it's like all different stories, different experiences. Oh yeah, definitely. And we all came from different backgrounds. Um, I ended up going with a a girl that her mom and my mom had been best friends for years. So we felt comfortable with each other. But then when you get into class, you're actually separated. So we didn't even find that comfort within each other, really. It was like, look, we can be best friends for the next couple of days. This is great. Wait a minute. We don't get to be with each other. No, we thought we did. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't want to spend a lot of time unpacking that because there's so much to your story. But as you think through that process, what were some of the big uh, aha moments or awareness moments that you had for you? So, um, for me, I had a really, really hard time taking any sort of risks. I was such a responsible kid for so long. So I was terrified to do anything that was abnormal or was, you know, off the, the road that you're supposed to do. All you're very comfortable, very comfortable. I did. I was a huge rule follower, which is not a bad thing, but, um, a rule follower in the way I just didn't take any sort of risks at all. Um, and I didn't feel, um, I just felt so responsible all the time. I just felt like I was an adult when I was a teenager and I didn't have the rest, I didn't have the chance to really be as much of a kid as I wish I did. And so, um, that's what the class brought for me is just opening up myself, um, being able to take risks and not being scared of them, which is very intense and still scary to this day, but completely changed my life. Yeah. You were talking about, you went back and looked at your blocks and it was a big aha moment just to look at them and, and think about breaking through and overcoming some of those things. So what was it? So my block was um, fear of risking, which is now that I'm almost 30, um, fear of risking seems so small to me because I've done so many crazy risky things. I traveled solo for a few years um, exploring. I bought myself a Harley. I've been skydiving. Like I've just done a bunch of risky things. I risked um, myself in my career and to think, you know, when I was 17 years old, that was my biggest fear. And then I've overcome it. It's, it's. And now it's how you live your life. Yeah. Yeah. And all those things would be missing if you had not, you know, made the choice to work through that. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because until I, I, I just unpacked that block like this afternoon and I had forgotten what my fear was because I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'm not afraid of standing up in front of a bunch of executives in my career and, and having to speak in front of them. I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid to speak up. I'm not afraid to jump out of a plane. I'm not scared to get on a podcast with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> not afraid to ride a Harley. Mm-hmm. No. I remember when you got your Harley. Oh yeah. I thought, <laughs> I think everybody was very nervous for me when I bought my Harley. That was probably one of my cooler moments. It was like, of course she did. Of course she bought a Harley. 
<laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. So you, um, I mean, you think back to wrap, wrapping, you know, a bow around the class and, and as you leave that class, there is just such a high. Oh, extremely, extremely. And, um, I remember at the end of the class, they said, don't make any big decisions for two weeks. I, I waited a week and then I cut about 10 people out of my life and I don't regret it. Not even a little bit. I had to remove those people who I thought were my friends at the time out of my life, create some healthy boundaries, people who are going to better my life. And it was the best decision. That's, I wouldn't, I don't know what I would do without the friendships that I have now. Healthy. How many friends did you end up with? Three. Yeah. So, I mean, the stopping right there and just talking about that for a minute, because there's so many kids out there that have a lot of friends and they, and they really gauge their you know, happiness and their success based on the amount of friends they have. And ultimately at the end of the day, you don't need a lot of friends. It's, it's really not about how many it's the quality of those friendships. And JJ likes to talk about if you don't have a solid friend right now, find a friend in a book, you know, find a, find a friend in that story, uh, find a friend in a, in a podcast or, or something like that, but find a friend that you can listen to somebody that brings value somebody that's uplifting for you, uh, that you even find a sense of encouragement or confidence from them being a part of your life. And so you take having the courage a week out of class to say, I've got to, you know, remove these friends. It's hard to do that as a teenager. It's scary. It's a risk. It's very scary. It's hard to do as an adult and, and I've, it's gotten easier. Um, but as, as a teenager, you, you think that those friends, those are your friends for life. You think, you think you're going to have these group of 15 people forever. And that's what I did. I looked, it was more, I was having conversations after coming out of that class. And I just realized we don't have similarities in who we are at all or what we want out of life. And one thing that I loved about the class was, um, Everyone stripped their biases, right? So nobody knew who was a jock or who was a cheerleader, who was whatever. And, um, you know, when you get out of that, you kind of realize, okay, do you like me for me or do you like me because of what I have in life? It just, or what I do, what I do, like it adults, my, my title. Yeah. Yeah. Title or, um, possessions, you know, I, I had friends that I thought were my friends and really it was just cause they had all these things that I didn't have and that wasn't bringing any quality to my life. Um, if anything it was putting a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. Yeah. So you remove those friends. Yeah. Now you've got the, the core group of, of four, right? Yeah. So three friends. So how did you move forward? Yeah. So I then applied and started working at Staker Parson, which um, was the company well, the three, what do we call them? Stooges. The three stooges. Was that at 17? Um, it was a week after I turned 18. So right. I went through class in June, turned 18 in July. So And then started. From, got right on yeah. to it. Jumped right into corporate America. <laughs> they had a plan. Yep. The, the stooges <laughs> the had a plan. The stooges did yeah. have a plan. We need to get them on our recruiting structure. <laughs> I would say maybe HUD did because now I'm working for him. So um, yeah, so I, I jumped right into it and... I actually remember interviewing with um, the accounts receivable manager at the time. And she had asked me about it and she's like, well, what, 
what was it about this course? And I said, I would distinctly remember him like, it's not that it changed who I was. It just showed me who I am. Mm. And she even remembers that to to this day. So it it was, I think that landed me the job. That's a common thing we see, you know, when we're talking about our class, people think, well, why, why should I send my daughter, you know, my son, because they're great the way they are. And yeah, they are perfect the way they are, but they don't see the value that they truly have in themselves until they get to look in the mirror and, you know, wipe off that dust like you got to do. And it really is such a privilege. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was always a good kid. I was, I, that's the joke in the family is I was always little miss perfect. So I was just a rule follower and did what I was told. And that's why she bought a Harley. Yep. <laughs> Maybe, that, maybe that's a little regret for my mom that I got a little too crazy, but um, yeah, I, I did. I just, I knew that that person was under there somewhere. She just had to be, I had to release her. her so how did you, how did you use the, the, the new you so, besides you getting a new job? Yeah. I loved, loved working there. Um, just taking a lot of that in kind of getting into corporate America um, I still love stability. I still am a rule follower. Um, so that actually was very comforting for me. Um, and then about a year and a half after I went through the course, I lost my little brother to suicide. He was 16 at the time. Um, his circumstances are technically a little bit different. He's in a 3% per, three percentile of people who don't suffer from depression. It's more circumstantial that he took his life. Um, so I was 19 at the time when I lost him and I was lost. I was so lost. I think the first three months were so numb. I just couldn't even remember anything. Um, how was your relationship with him? He was my best friend. So he is a twin with my little sister. Mm-hmm but we were extremely close. Um, We had very similar personalities. We were morning people. We'd wake up together and make pancakes for everyone. Everyone in the house would be grumpy in the morning and we would just be like, good morning. How was everyone? And we'd be singing and- um, America the Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) My word. I sang him that. Um, Just very, very happy, goofy. um, But our personalities were very similar in that way. We were very- very close. We have our older brothers, but at that time they were, you know, in their adult years, early twenties. And so it was just the three of us. And mostly we took care of our sister and we just, you know, tried to protect her and, and take care of her. And you so, protected her. Yeah, we did protect her. Yeah. Failed a couple times. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just, he was a ball of sunshine. He was truly one of the most happiest people I have ever known. Um, he knew who he was. He knew what he wanted out of life. He was very outspoken um, and just lovable. Um, so many people just loved him. Just the amount of people that came to support him after he passed proved how much he was loved. Um, I can see you really reliving some of that right now. Yeah. Um, so I know it's important for you to, to walk through this and, and you don't have to, but you, you feel like that this, this really needs to happen. And so really want to walk through a lot of what was really going on with him. 
um, so we can share that from a message of, you know, uh, there are a lot of positive things that have happened because of it. Yeah. So, um, it was a shock, a shock wave through our whole family. Um, like I said, he really was what we thought probably the most outgoing person in the family, just that sunshine personality. So it was such a shock, such a disturbance to our family and, and not only to our family, um, most suicides, if someone has passed by suicide, it's, it, it is a ripple. It's usually um, up to, I think, 80 plus people can be affected by that. We have a large support group um, of family and friends that it probably rippled even further than that. So I think, you know, we talked about building Utah youth is a ripple effect, right? In a positive way, that can also ripple and um, suicide can ripple in a negative way and it can affect it, a lot of people. It, it deeply and negatively impacts a lot, a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. And um, so with that, um, yeah, he passed and I was just numb. I was, I was extremely, extremely numb. And I remember, um, so he passed in February of 2013. And I remember going to a graduation that summer and feeling warmth for the first time. Um, I actually reread my journal before I came here too. And um, I think we had a recharge after that year and I had a um that's when I had another board that we broke and that board was savior and I was there when he passed and I couldn't save him so I had to break that fear as well of of trying to be a savior for not only him but for a lot of other people um but eventually um about seven months after well I went through that recharge and then um, through that, I had also gone on team and I got a credit. So I saved my very low salary at the time to send my mom through mm. LB1 um, in Alamo. And it was the best thing ever to give her that gift for her to be able to go. So that was about seven months after he had passed. Um, and between, I just advocate if you're going to, send your teen, do your best to go with them. Um, because the relationship that my mom and I had after that, not only leadership wise, but healing wise, my mom burst through a lot of grief that I thought she would be stuck in for a really long time. And I contribute a lot of that. And, and I think she would agree with me. She contributes a lot of that to going through LB1 and, and breaking down barriers and walls so that was all within a year. Um, it was pretty impactful. Yeah, when we talk about your mom, she's one of those happy, you know, like just her energy is so positive. You know, she always has that big smile mm -hmm. and the joy that she radiates is so powerful. And she, she was able to reconnect with that. Yeah, she, I remember being young and I was like maybe 12 at the time and I had asked her, I'm like, how do you have so much confidence, you know? Like, how do you do it? And she's like, I just do it. She's just like, literally, she is like a ball of sunshine. And mm -hmm. she's like, you know, kind of small. She's got her little pokey hair. But she's like. She's like a little firecracker. She is. And she, I, I always was so envious of her when I was growing up. And 
she lost that, you know, she lost her child and obviously um, through that grief. So to see that spark come out of her when she had to do her final test in Alamo, that was, oh, it was incredible. And it, it created such a healthy bond between us um, within leadership, but also it was just so healing for us to break through some of that grief. You know, when we were talking and before we started tonight, we were talking about how in class now in the, in the, in the youth classes and the adult classes, we talk about, you know, suicide and we talk about it from a space of awareness. We talk about it so everybody can see that everyone else is, is, you know, in that similar space from a, an awareness standpoint that it's not just them. You know, we ask simple questions, uh, centered around, you know, not calling anyone out because that's not what it's all about. It's just for people to understand that, that people everywhere, this impacts them, whether you're someone that thinks about it, whether you're someone that's attempted it, whether you know someone that, that has done something like that, you, it impacts you on a very, very deep level. And, and it, and it's a heavy, heavy weight to carry around, but we want, we always want to tie it to the fact that there is a, a big, you know, big meaning uh, in being here, that you are loved, that there are people that love you, that there, there are people that care about you. And, you know, when you're in the storm, you know, we just finished the summit with rapport and, and it was all about perspective. And in this one moment in time, you know, we were, we were as a group in on a boat and we, they gave us these rain jackets and we were going to Niagara Falls and we were all laughing because we're wearing these rain jackets because it's such a beautiful day outside. What do we need these rain jackets for? Well, as we approached those falls, everyone had their rain jackets pulled down tight and pretty soon we could barely, you know, there's like a peephole. And everyone I've ever talked to about being in that state of mind, it's, it's literally, you're, you're looking through a peephole. You, you just can't see anything else. And when you talked about him being in a 3% area of, of the why or the how, if you will, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's important to talk about, you know, depression is a big thing, you know, and mental health is something that's big. We talk about it today more than ever uh, because for a long time we didn't talk about it and it's important to talk about it. You know, but being in that 3% wasn't really where he was at circumstantial. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we, we, we bring that around so that you can always plant the seed that there, you know, this too will pass. And what feels like the end, it isn't, it's, it's just, it's just a, a you know, a pothole or it's a, it's a block in the road, or it's one of those big roadblocks that, you know, it does feel heavy and it does feel like it's everything, you know, and, and there is no more, but there is, there's always more. And, 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 and it is about circling back to those people in your life that you, they're just there for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, for his story, if you would have waited two minutes, you know, just taking a, a, a deep breath for two minutes, it could have, it's changed our whole lives, right? Um, this is a kid who had a huge group of friends. Everyone loved him. Funniest kid. You would never expect, I never expected him to, to take his own life. I just... He was too happy. He was too happy all the time. That just doesn't make sense. And it, it baffled us for so long because he was, he just, you just didn't think that that person 
would do that. Um, but everybody has their own um, demons, um, roadblocks. They, they, they all have that um, in life. Life will throw them at you. I mean, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm, they're just, they just become easier to overcome and work through when you have such a, a strong support system. And so what happens is, is sometimes people can't see that support system. Yeah. They can't see those group of people that really do love and care about them. And like you said, two minutes, it would have made all the difference. And you know, we talk about in class, you never know the difference you'll make in someone's life by just smiling at them by, by, you know, spending a few minutes looking at them and talking with them and, you know, giving people compliments cost you nothing. And it's, it's something that's so hard to do, um, for so many people. And, and those that figure it out, it's just an, an easy, natural thing to tell somebody a compliment and, you know, tell them that, you know, something great about them can change everything because it's really the, opposite of that is what really drives people into that space. Um, and, and it's not usually something that someone's thinking about that is driving them there. It's just a moment, it's emotions, it's things like that. But you know, it's, it's like you said, just breathe, just breathe through it and, you know, reach out, get some help. There's people absolutely willing to help. There are so many resources so many resources, um, especially in Utah. It's it's much higher in Utah, the suicide rates. And there are so many people out there to help. There are so many people that love you. There, if, if he could have seen the amount of people that showed up to his candlelight vigil or his funeral services, I mean, I don't think he realized the impact that he had. One person, you know, at 16 years old, this skinny kid with red hair, had this huge impact on hundreds of people. Um, just, he really did. He, he had an impact. And I think, you know, going through that really led you to a, a whole new, you know, avenue in life. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So about, about the time that I, I had sent my mom through rapport, um, leadership one, uh, leadership breakthrough one, uh, we started looking into support groups for people who have lost somebody. And there was a lot of them that have lost, you know, a family member or something, but not anything specific to suicide. And anyone that's lost someone to suicide knows that it is a very complicated, very unique kind of grief. The person that took your person away from you is the same person. Um, so it's, it's very hard to navigate through a lot of people come out of it. It's actually one of the number one um, deaths that someone in that ripple of, of people will actually gain a mental illness from. So personally, I gained PTSD, depression and anxiety from, from his loss. And um so we started looking into support groups and one of my mom's really good friends had also lost her daughter a couple years beforehand. And we had this great, she had, she had this great idea to start a support group specifically for people who have lost somebody to suicide. And so, um, for a while there was not that many people. And then all of a sudden it was, it had just grown into, um, a, a lot of unfortunate, great groups of people that we were able to um, 
get to know and and build really good relationships with. It's unfortunate circumstances that we came together, but we were able to work through our grief together. Um, and at the time I was only 20, um, I was very young and I went to the support group and it was a lot of parents, but in there are younger people like me at the time who was 20 with their parents and we created a bond within ourselves, just, you know, the few people that were younger. Cause you know, a lot of your level and your, your, you know, yeah. The way I, you see things. I'm technically an adult at 20, right? Yep. But I'm not an adult. I'm, I don't know anything. Yet. I think I know. I know everything, but I didn't. All of you that are listening that are 20, Hannah says you still don't know anything. I am You've almost 30 time. and I still don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> but at 20, like you're technically an adult, but I, I still didn't know how to navigate a grief like that. I didn't know how to get through that. So to bring some healthy and good goodness out of such a terrible situation I would never if I could take it all back I could if I could have him back I would take back all the life lessons I would if I could have him here with me um, but I gained so much from being able to help other people navigate through that grief um, and I jumped back to earlier when I said I was a peer leader in ninth grade I didn't think that I didn't know how impactful that would be when I'm 20 and I'm talking with other people who've lost their siblings and don't know what to do or don't know how to live their next day um, because they've lost their sibling or their parent. Um, so it was so impactful for me to be able to help other people um, to take one of the most horrific things anyone can go through by losing someone to suicide, especially my best friend, my, my baby brother and find joy out of it. There's no way I could have done that without having the tools that I gained from the class. Honestly, if I hadn't gone through there, that class and found the confidence and um, released fears and spoke my mind and recognized my emotions, I could have easily fallen down a dark hole. Been able to share your vulnerabilities. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did I, so I, I know the story, but um, for the listeners, it, it, you really started to gain a lot of ground quickly once you went down that avenue. It was like just one thing after another. So like, let, let's share some of the amazing things that have happened for you, right? Because of you and that support group and your mom and the things that you've created and done together and and created together. Yeah. So, um, we jumped head first. I mean, I think we've always kind of, um, given back when we could. So I jumped into, and that's the biggest part of this message. You want everyone to listen to is when you feel like there's nothing left. You guys both dug into, we have so much to give when you feel like everything's been taken from you. It, the only way you are able to start to heal is to give. Yeah. And at the time I didn't, I honestly didn't know how to navigate it for myself. And so I, I jumped right into giving. Um, we started that nonprofit. Um, my mom is a founding me member of that um, nonprofit support group. I also joined the board for building Utah youth yep. and I went in hard. <laughs> I, I don't think I missed a meeting. 
I was so excited and and just jumped in any volunteer position I could do, whether that was building Utah Youth related or not. Um, I love to give back. And there was the greatest chance for me to help influence teenagers and making sure that they gained um, the tools that they need to navigate through this life and, and help them through just life in general. Being on team was extremely impactful for me because I was able to give that back to those kids. Those kids had vulnerable moments. I had, um, I have a few still that I'm in touch with that say that if I changed their life being on team, you know, I wasn't in their class with them, but I was, and I loved it. I think I went seven times to be on team and, and just to be able to help. Um, I don't think I realized it for a few years, but I think it, it was really to, if I, I couldn't help him, he was already gone, but I could help someone else. And, and back to your point where you said, just giving someone a smile and, um, my favorite, favorite things about the class is hugging people. Oh, hugs have a, such a huge impact on people's lives. Um, I think I'm hypersensitive to sad eyes. I call them when I see somebody and they just look like maybe they're having a bad day. And just tell them, have, have a great day. I hope you have a really great day. You have a beautiful smile. I hope, you know, just, just a simple thing, even just a simple smile or holding the door for them. It seems like such a small thing, but it's huge. If, if it can take a minute to have somebody think about what they have in their life, a smile can completely change someone's thoughts, right? You could be pulling somebody out of something dark that you don't even realize it. And we need more of that in our world. Um, We need more human connection, more love. Um, I'm a little bit of a hippie. Peace and love's been like my thing since I was way younger. It's led you on some pretty amazing adventures. It definitely has. (laughs) Um, But it's true. I mean, just being kind to one another can can change someone's life literally can change someone's life. Yeah. I, when I went through, I was, I think a couple years after you and every single graduation, every single recharge, Hannah was there with a smile on her face, hugging everyone. And I know just every, if when you were a little bit younger, I looked up to you in so many ways, just because of your kindness and the love that you showed anyone and everyone. Thank you. That, that means a lot. I, I am so happy to hear that because I, I just dove into that because it giving back brought me so much joy in a time where I could have easily gotten extremely lost. Um, and I, I still struggled, but when I was able to go and give people hugs and see people through their journeys of their leadership process, go to the recharge and just see everybody that has the same um, outlooks on life and just is full of joy Anytime I could give back, it, it brought me joy. And it's, it's, I almost think it's probably a little selfish of me sometimes because I did it for myself because I felt so happy giving to other people. It's okay when you do that and it's selfish. It really is um, because you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, you knew that you were making an impact and, and helping people see the best in themselves and and all the love, as you mentioned, you know, that is created through that process. It's okay if it's you're selfishly know that it's recharging your battery and filling your 
cup and your heart full. So you have the out energy and the power to, you know, just continue to move forward one step at a, step at a time. And you know, I, I, I threw out there, you've been on some crazy adventures because you have. So would love to hear about some of the adventures that you've been on the last you know, little while. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, I got a Harley. That was probably, that was probably the most dangerous thing I did. Um, took that around the state, pretty, um, pretty fun riding adventures. Um, I, I learned, um, I was very comfortable being alone. I am very independent now. Um, probably too strong willed. I, um, went out on some traveling adventures. I traveled and did the whole Oregon coast. I did Moab. I did Zions. I did some camping adventures all on my own. Which, on your Harley? No, not oh, on the I Harley. Was like, wow. But by myself, which was probably just as dangerous. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then, and then I met my husband. Just one day. <laughs> yeah. Tell us the story. Yeah, I we, don't we know this. Oh, so I work with a sister. <laughs> yeah. So she, she had mentioned that he saw a picture of me and saw where I worked. And, um, I told her, okay, well, I'll add him as a friend. And if he wants to ask me on a date, he can ask me on a date. And so he did. It was really funny because our, our first date, I probably hate that I'm telling this story, but it's so funny. Our first date we had been talking, you know, for a little while and I wanted to meet him in public. And like talking on the phone? Yeah, we Just talked to on clarify, the phone. I don't know how everybody yeah, talks. Yeah, we, we were texting, we were texting and talking on the phone. We, we were snapping regularly. <laughs> he has a young daughter, you I, can definitely yeah, tell. Like, uh, I think I'm too old for snapping. Just asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> we were texting and talking on the phone. So we, we wanted to go on a date. Uh, he w wanted to take me on a date. So I met him and... We hadn't met in person yet, so the sweet gentleman that he is goes to shake my hand, which obviously is very kind, right? Very sweet gesture. And I was like, nah. And Hannah's a hugger. Yeah, <laughs> I went straight in for the hug, broke all the awkwardness, um, and that was it. It probably was a sigh of relief for him that he wasn't in this formal interaction that you broke that barrier, just gave him a hug. I would think so, but I probably made him more nervous. <laughs> Where'd you guys go on your first date? We went to uh, Kraft Burger. We just went and got burgers and yeah. History. It was such a simple thing. And but you had very meaningful conversation, didn't you? Oh, the best. Um, yeah, I remember leaving and I thought maybe, you know, we'd go get ice cream or go for a walk or something. He's like, yes, okay, I'll, I'll be in touch. And I was like, uh-oh, he doesn't like me. He must have been playing a really good game. I don't know. Because it kept me hanging on. And um, yeah, we went on a second date, went out to dinner again. And that time we went for a walk. And it, I remember calling one of my best friends afterwards and just saying, this is different. Like, I don't know what it was. It As silly as it seems, it was just instant connection, instant spark. Um, I probably talked her ear off for good solid 20 minutes and after I was done talking she's like I've never heard you talk like this before and I just said he's he's it and you know I'd been single for a really long time I just I kind of did my own independent thing I loved traveling I loved my Harley I loved hanging out with my dog I was just happy I was I was 
She was working on those fishing skills. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I was terrible at fishing. Poor guy had to teach me. That's, yeah. a, that's a good test of a marriage, yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> have, your, have your spouse teach you how to do a sport. That, <laughs> that's a good test. Maybe you've fallen in love with it. Yes, I have. Yeah, it was, it was such a huge challenge. Um, talk about failing. So, yeah, we met, fell in love bought a home together. Um, he started teaching me how to fly fish and it's not something that I always wanted to do. I wanted to learn how to do it. And it is so much harder than I thought it was going to be like a lot, lot harder. Um, it is not as easy as throwing a worm into the water. And I failed for probably the first two and a half years. I don't, I didn't catch one fish. I, in two and a half years, yeah, not one. Yeah, I was really bad. So when you were posting the pictures, that was really the beginning yeah. of you catching fish. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there were it's times been a long time coming when I thought I don't I'd, have that in me to do that for two no. and a half years for, with no fish. I, I don't even know if I had it in me to do twice. it and catch fish. <laughs> I was determined. I really want. Well, so you like him a lot. Well, just he to must be a great yeah. dude to jump back a little. My little brother that I lost, he was a huge fly fisherman. So I felt like I was paying homage to him. I was doing something that he loved. A little and bit was, of connection there. Yeah. And he was really, really good at it. And I was, every time I'd go out on the river, I'd be like, all right, buddy. That was my little brother's name. Well, his, what we called him. I'd be like, buddy, just, just let me catch one fish, just one fish. And you know, that prayer turned into Okay, just let me like get a nibble. I don't even have to catch the fish. And then it just let me know that you're there. Just there just give me fish. one sign <laughs> that you're there. You can hear me. You know, we're in this together. One little sign. Yeah. And you know, knowing him, his goofy personality was like, Yeah, good luck. You're yeah, on your yet. own. Not kid. Yeah, bud. Yeah. And then I would be like, Okay, just don't let me trip and then and and I'll be good. And and then that worked out. Well, I still fall sometimes, but yeah, it took, it took a really long time to learn how to fly fish, but I'm really glad I stuck with it because I love it. It's something my husband and I can do together. It's that connection with my brother, um, the connection with nature and, and just disconnecting from the world. Um, so, yeah, it's really weird hobby that I never thought I would pick up, but I love it. I thought it was a little weird for you, too. It's amazing way to honor him, though. Yeah. It is. Now I get it. Yeah, it... um. It was just something I always wanted to do. And it just makes sense that, um, I don't know. I don't, I, I believe in the universe and connections. Um, I believe we also make our own choices in life. Some reason I met my husband who in some ways reminds me of my little brother. They have the same type of personality and to find someone who is so into fly fishing and wanted to teach me and, um, create that connection with me and my brother. It, it just all made sense to me. So, yeah. So what adventures you're, let's talk about where you're at right now for a minute. Yeah. So, so you're in a great place. You're doing a lot of amazing mm -hmm. things. Yeah. So right now I am a procurement manager for CRH Americas, which is not where I expected to be, but, um, I love it. So I get to do a lot of trainings, which Granted, they're trainings on systems, but I still get to get out in front of people and work with people, and I love that. That's my favorite thing is is working with people. 
Um, within that, I also get to teach a frontline leadership class at work. So that's been really fun to facilitate that. Um, jumps back to being all those on the team all those times. I feel like I learned a lot of skills. Hey, you put all those tools to work Absolutely. for you. You're like, I've got this. Oh, it's like, it sounds bad, but it's like this easiest thing for me to transition to facilitator for that leadership class. Well, when you're, when you started doing this, your mom was so proud. I mean, she was gleaming with pride because you were doing these things like that, that you were stepping out there, taking these risks, putting those tools to use. Just so proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. So what's I'm next? A little emotional. <laughs> um, so yeah, so right now I'm just, I'm loving keeping things as simple, as calm as possible. Um, I had a lot of commotion in my early 20s. Obviously, I was working through a lot of grief, trying to figure out who in the world. Not trying I'm, to. Figuring out. Yeah, figuring out. I'm really going to get in trouble for how many times I've said that word. It's only 100 bucks every time. <laughs> Where's the jar? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you, just, you, you, you go through a lot in your 20s. Your early, your early teens, your 20s, you think you have it figured out, but you don't. There are so many life lessons and life curves that, that come your way. Um, and I'll be 30 in a couple months. And it is, it is a change in um, feeling of I'm comfortable with who I am. I feel strong. I'm so happy with my career, with my relationships. Um, found my husband who I love and have created such a healthy home with. Um, yeah, I just, I'm so... I have a dog. I have two dogs. Two dogs. Two dogs. Yeah. two dogs that are my babies. I love them. Oh. Soul dog. Yeah. 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 So um, next steps are just continuing um, leadership courses for work. I really, really love that. It's um, got me on a great path to continue those. And then really for my future, I, I hope one day I can be a mom. Um, you hope? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with a chronic um, illness about a year ago, endometriosis. And so fertility is, is really difficult. Um, I've always known I've wanted to be a mom. I, I've, I've been like a mom since I was a kid. I love kids. Um, my dogs are like children, like probably too much. I treat them like my children. I know there's lots of people that can relate to that story. Yeah. So I, I got diagnosed um, last year as we were working through some infer infertility, um, had some procedures, and, and we're still working through that. Um, but honestly, whatever way I can be a mom, I think it's important for women to know, and, and men and, and anybody, that you can be a parent in any sort of way. I am a dog mom, and you know, people kind of think that's silly, but they are like my, my babies. I absolutely adore them. Um, if one day, you know, we can't have children, then adoption is also an option. And I would love that child in any way I can. If, if not in that sense, then I have 10 nieces and nephews that I absolutely adore. And I just want to impact and raise someone, a child, um, to be a good human at the end of the day and then in whatever aspect that comes from um, just difficult um, to navigate as a woman you want to be. You think like, who does? 
I, I think being a parent, like a mom is going to be so easy, right? You have all this time in the world and then you get, you know, stuck with this infertility and it's, it's extremely hard to navigate and accept. And, um, so that's been another challenge the last year, but you're going to work through it. Yeah. And, and I have been, and I honestly, I think a lot of people are so surprised because you tell them like you're struggling with infertility and they think that you're going to break down. And I'm like, I don't know. I've got this, like whatever happens, whatever does or does not happen. I know I can make an, an impact on someone's life and, and you will. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, will. you've already made an impact on so many people's lives. Yeah. And, and you know, you've already made so many people proud and the most important person you've made proud is yourself. Absolutely. Because uh, you know, as, as Mason and I are sitting here watching you tonight, it's like you you just have that glow like your mom has that glow like you have that glow and and i know that you can't make a wrong move it's just to move you yeah. know and to keep moving but you know you will make a great mom thank you you will um and you know do keep doing what you're doing because it, it, you just keep walking through those doors and you've got some great mentors and role models mm -hmm. you know hud definitely somebody who I put on my mentor list. He's, he's just that yeah. guy. Um, but you know, just let, let him keep moving those goalposts for you. Yeah. Just keep running after him. Yeah. If there's anything I could, you know, give advice for, not that I feel like I'm old enough to give you advice are. for. You are. I'm almost 30. So their life, you know, this course changed my life. 100% um, gave me, incredible tools I still had to reset myself multiple times every roadblock I hit I had to step back and think about okay am I gonna get through this or am I gonna am I gonna fail I'm gonna quit yeah yeah and I did not want to do that I wanted to succeed I wanted to be a happy person I wanted to live my life I could have easily given up 10 years ago and I did not want to be that person. I didn't want to be that person for myself. I didn't want to be that person for my brother. I always say I, I live two lives. I live one for, for myself and one for him. You know, I do crazy things like jumping out of a plane for him and for me. So if you hit a roadblock, it's okay to step back. It's okay to fail. It's okay to take your priorities and rearrange them a little bit and, and work on who you are and what you want. Just don't give up. Do not give up because you're loved and your life is so impactful for this world. Wow. Thank you so much for your message, Hannah. Seriously. If you didn't hear that, please listen to it again, because that is, if nothing else, listen to that a couple of times. That's all. Respect, integrity, passion, personal power, leadership, enthusiasm. This has been the Empowering Youth Podcast from Building Utah Youth. To become part of the 3%, visit Building Utah Youth on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or on our website at buildingutahyouth.org.